0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you'll open your pew Bible or your Bible you brought with you or your Bible app to Luke chapter 14, our text this morning is verses 25 through 33. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Now, large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and he said to them Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first And consider whether he is able to, with 10,000, to oppose the one who has 20,000. If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy Lord, we gather this morning to sing your praises, to bring our offering, to lay our petitions at your feet, to hear your word read and proclaimed, and to receive the sustenance of your holy meal. So during this hour, O Lord, through all these acts of worship, through the liturgy, the words of the people, speak to us. Speak to us clearly so that we would hear who you would have us be, that we would know what you would have us do, So that we would leave this time in community and to go forth not as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Every once in a while, do you ever receive a piece of news or discover it or hear it on the TV or read about it? Something that just makes you sick to your stomach? Something tragic that you've had nothing to do with, but yet it's made you just sick to read it. In January of 2021, Boeing announced that they were going to have to eat, absorb a $5 billion cost overrun on a military contract. You know, every once in a while, when we hear about military contracts where about cost overruns, usually that lands on the government. To fund the difference but for whatever reason in this contract the government got it right and it was a guaranteed maximum five billion dollars for an aerial refueling tanker and when Boeing got around to building it, it actually cost 10 million dollars and Boeing had to eat the cost I can't even imagine what that would feel like to be in the accounting department and realize uh-oh we have a problem Five billion of them, to be exact. I mean, that just makes you sick to even think about this, and somehow or other, they missed it that much, and that was going to cost them. But that doesn't just happen in industry, it also happens in the church world. A couple of years ago, about 30 years ago, there was a church building a new campus. They'd worked with the architect, they'd cast this great vision, everybody was excited about it, the architect said, it's going to cost you X to build this the congregation got behind it and they went out and they fundraised and they did their capital campaign and guess how much they raised? X. So they were all excited like, we've got the money, it's great. And the day came when the contractors, the different ones that had been invited to bid on the project, shared their bids. Even the lowest bid was still two times X. And everyone was deflated Everyone just lost all energy. Now, they picked their pieces up, and they only built half the project because that was what they could afford, and it took 10 more years before the dust settled, before the feelings subsided, and they went back to redesign and figure out how to finish the vision. And when they did that, the architect said, it's going to cost you X, and they've been down this road before, right? Right. So they decided to hire their own construction estimator to make sure that what the architect said was what could really happen. And sure enough, X equaled X, and when the bids opened, it equaled X yet more. And so they were able to complete the project 10 years later than they had hoped, but all because they had found the importance of getting the right cost estimate the second time around. See, these two stories remind anyone that is in the trade business or anyone in project management how important it is to estimate correctly what it's going to cost before you step out and jump into a big adventure. That you just don't just plow into the world willy-nilly and figure out, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. That's sort of proverbially building the bridge as you're driving across it while you're also designing it. In Luke's Gospel today, the text that I just read, Something very similar is happening. See, the reality of what's going on is that as, the, as Jesus' as fame and words of Jesus' ministry spreads, people are flocking to him. He has crowds of people all around him everywhere he goes. Some have come for the excitement because, let's be honest, in our human nature, if you hear that there is something exciting to happen, don't you want to go see too, right? I mean, that's who we are. Some of them showed up because they heard he was performing signs and miracles, and so they wanted to be there to see the next one. Others were there because it was trendy to say you were following this carpenter from Nazareth. So as as all this is happening, Jesus sort of stops, sort of stops in the middle of it all, and he has this heart-to-heart, this face-to-face, I think the cliche here you might want to say A come-to-Jesus meeting, if you will, with everyone around them. He proceeds to have this conversation. He admonishes them to give serious thought as to why they are there. Serious thought as to why they are following him. What does it mean for you, in a sense, is what he's asking. Are you fully committed to what it means for your life and for the world? In other words, he's asking the crowd, have you weighed the cost of this discipleship? Have you weighed the cost of what it means to be a follower of mine? And by virtue of this text, the same question is before you and me today. Have we weighed the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ in our lives? As followers, are we invested? Are we committed to moving toward lives whereby Christ is above everything else? The love of Christ is above all others, where we carry the cross of Christ, enduring hardships and possible persecution because we are followers, where our material possessions are of less worth than our relationship with the one who loves us most. See, Jesus tells them and he's telling us that that's the cost of discipleship. That's what it means, but that the reward is great. But in order to receive the reward, we've got to be fully committed and willing to make that journey. So verse 26, at the very beginning of our text, that's a harsh verse, I think, for any of us to hear. Remember, Jesus said, whoever comes to me but does not hate their parents, does not hate their spouse, their children, or their siblings, yes, even life itself cannot be a disciple. I don't know about you, but that's hard to read. I mean, to hate your parents, to hate your spouse, to hate your children, to hate your siblings, even life itself, that you've got to do that in order to follow. Jesus also says some pretty harsh things in other parts of the gospel. Remember, he says, let the dead bury the dead or get up out of the boat, leave your nets, no two weeks notice just get up now and come follow me. Now, if we look past the human emotion of this, the human, what we would say is like, that's absurd. If we would look past that, what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about where our allegiances lie. Where we are truly devoted in our lives. What relationships have priority. That's what he's really talking about in this text. See, the Christian life, it's not just a label. It's a way of being. See, if we are to be followers, we're supposed to put Christ first above all of our other relationships, above everything else. Because if we do that, and if we adopt that way of being, then that type of life ekes into our other relationships. That's what's beautiful about this if our allegiance is with Christ and not with the others, if it's Christ first, not the others first, then all of our relationships are better. I think about sort of what we would call like maybe the modern saints. I think about William Booth who founded the Salvation Army or Dorothy Day who wrote The Catholic Worker, really thinking about workers' rights at the turn of the century, at the turn of the 20th century. I think of Mother Teresa and the Sisters of Mercy working in the slums of Calcutta. They loved Christ so deeply. Christ was first in their lives above everything else and became the, the way they lived as part of their being. And because of that, their love, the love of Christ flowed out from them and to everyone. Everyone. When Christ says, if you counted the cost of discipleship, it's not just enough to say, I'm a Christian or I'm a United Methodist or I'm a member of Centenary. It's about loving Christ such that it permeates all aspects of our lives. The label doesn't matter as much as the living, as the being. Now, what's great about this text is he throws this out there at the very beginning, and it sounds harsh, but it's also a challenge to us. If you're sitting here going like, oh, gosh, that's not me. Oh, I don't know. I'm not like Mother Teresa. I'm not like William Booth. Oh, I don't know if I love God more than other things. This is a challenge for us. This is that moment where we can wade into it and begin to think, if I want to have that kind of relationship with God, that kind of being, I can start making those changes today. I can change the priority of my relationships and make Christ first. I can be making steps on that, because that's what he's really challenging the crowd. He says, I don't know why you're gathered around me, but if you're gathered around me for anything less than this, start growing in that direction. And then he moves to his next point, if you will, this idea of the cross I bear I think about what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, he wrote these words that when Christ calls a human being, he bids them to come and die. Now that's also pretty hard to hear, that's also pretty tough, but what Bonhoeffer's talking about, this idea of this cost of discipleship, is that it requires a commitment on our part to not only live a life of Christ, to live a life transformed Christ, but to live a life following Christ wherever Christ calls us to go. Wherever Christ may lead us, even if it means possibly ridicule or alienation from others that don't see the transformation in us, even if it means possibly up to martyrdom, as Bonhoeffer experienced. But I think about what Christ is admonishing that crowd about you've got to be able to carry the cross. Yes, he's foreshadowing what's going to happen to him, but what he's really talking about, he's talking about a grace that is costly. In his writings in the book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer talks about cheap grace and costly grace. Now, cheap grace are things such as where grace is bestowed on ourselves. It's forgiveness without repentance. It's baptism without church discipline, meaning that we don't really follow through on those baptismal vows that we make. You know, when families stand up here and we promise that we're going to help support them and help them raise their child It's when they sit there and they say the same thing. Do we follow through on those vows? Or ourselves, when we say that we're going to resist justice and evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, do we follow through on that? Or do we just bask in the glory of the baptism, not recognizing that there's follow-through on our part? Or communion without confession. In just a few minutes, Susanna is going to Uh, stand up and we'll celebrate community. As we go through the liturgy, actually it's Meg that'll do it. When we go through the liturgy, Meg is going to walk us through uh, the part of the prayer of confession. How often do we recite that prayer of confession and don't really think about what each of those lines mean? We confess, Lord, that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have rebelled against your love. We have not done your will. We have rebelled. We've not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. How do we just recite those words and don't really think about what we are confessing? See, that's cheap grace. But this costly grace, this is what Christ is talking about, this carrying the cross. It's a gospel sought over and over again. It's about trying to live a righteous life and standing up for the sake of the gospel to spread God's love in the world no matter what. Even when it's not popular, even if it means that we might get outcast or we might get denied or we might get left out because we are challenging the world around us to be better than it is. But the beauty of this costly grace, the beauty of this costly grace is first our hearts may be broken if we're left out, if we're persecuted, if you will, if we're left to the side of the road, but there's a joy in it because we realize that we're on the right path. That we're following the footsteps of the Savior. We're doing what he called us to do. And when we do that, nothing can go wrong. So this costly grace, what Jesus is talking about as we think about our own discipleship, it's about doing, it's about saying, it's about living what is right and what is righteous in our lives without concern for what may befall us. See, this is the cross of Christ to bear, that all the world sees righteousness through us. Not that we're holier than thou, but that we're on the journey of faith trying to be more like the one that we follow. And what he says in this passage is if you're not willing to do that, ask yourself why. And ask yourself, if you want to be my follower, what would you need to change in your life to be just like that? To make those steps. Again, it's about growth. It's about challenging ourselves to really estimate the cost of discipleship and to live into it. And then finally, as we begin to realize that it's Christ above us, where Christ is first in our lives, where we seek God, costly grace, living and believing what we say through thought, word, and deed, no matter the cost to us we get to Jesus' final point in verse 33. He says, In the same way, those who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Now, let's be really honest. What Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about money and stuff. He's about all of our money and all of our possessions. And he's not saying that those are bad. Let me be real clear. He's not saying that money or possessions are bad because those are the things that we use for ministry, that we use to live But what he's really saying is that he's talking about the importance that we place upon them. Do we place our materialism, do we place our money, do we place all that on a higher order than our relationship with Christ? And that if we do, that's problematic because that's not the life of a disciple. If you look in the Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Jesus preached about money and possessions and materialism an awful lot, and what he's really talking about is this idea of gratitude, this idea of thanksgiving, this idea of contentment. What he's really trying to help us see is that we don't need to be trying to keep up with the Joneses next door, we ought to be trying to dig deeper in our relationship with God and be content with what God has already given us because we have enough already. There are enough blessings around us that we just open our eyes and to see what matters most. I think back to the story of Adam and Eve. I mean, after God created Adam and Eve, he told this one commandment, he says, you've got the entire garden to yourself. Do whatever you want to do, do, take care of it, do whatever you need to do. All of this is given for you. There's only one thing I command you not to do. Y'all know what it is, right? Right? He says, you've got everything, it's all here for your disposal, just there's one thing. In the middle of the garden, there's going to be an apple tree, just leave it alone. Leave it alone. Now my guess is, it's kind of like if you went to a really plush vacation home. You, you, you maybe rented an Airbnb with this really nice house at the beach, and there's one closet that has a sign on it that says, do not open. Owner's private stuff. Now somewhere, if we're really honest, there's a voice in the back of our head that says, I wonder what's in there. You kind of want to go look, don't ya? you? You kind of wonder, like, I wonder if the door's locked. It just sort of weighs on your mind, Right? You've got everything you could ever want. All the beach toys, the pool, the ocean's right out there. Everything you could ever But you want to know what's in the closet. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They had everything. They could be. Why weren't they content with what they had? That's what Jesus is talking to us about. Be content. Put your priorities in the right order. Your relationship with God should take place over all this other stuff that you're worried about. Be content with my love. Be content with what i provided you. Let the materialism go. That's what he's saying. You weigh the cost of discipleship. He asks the crowd to do this. He asks them, he says, I don't know why you're gathered here, but think about this. If you're here... I really want you to estimate the cost. I really want you to think about this. I want you to not be disappointed. I want you to have a sickness in your stomach when you realize what it's cost and you get to the end and you realize you haven't done all the things. The cost of discipleship is this, to love Christ above all others, to love God first and foremost in your life, to practice costly grace where you live day in and day out and you live the righteous life no matter what it costs you because that's what matters the most. And finally, put an emphasis on your relationship with God and not with the stuff of the world. Be content with what you have. Now, I'm sure just like in here as we're thinking about this text, as i was thinking about this week, thinking like, oh, I'm doing pretty good here. I could do some more work here. I'm not anywhere on that. There are people in the crowd in the same boat Some of them realized that they were just there for the excitement. That's what drew them in. But now his words were challenging them. Now his words were drawing them in closer for real. Not just a sideshow, but really a way of being. Not just a label, not just a status symbol, but a new life. Jesus laid out for them a way to grow to grow in their discipleship, to be better, to be the people that God really wanted them to be. And I think the same is true for us. So as we begin to cast the estimate of the cost of discipleship in our lives, we can see places that we can grow. But why don't you notice that what happens in the text is Jesus laid all this out. He didn't say, now, if you're not doing this and you're not doing this, and you're not doing this, just go away. He never turned anyone away, did he? Matter of fact, he said, this is what it's going to take. But he gave them the opportunity. And if you look at the rest of his ministry, all the way up to the table, all the way up to the table of grace, there was always room for us to come. Always room for the world to come to the table, an opportunity to deepen their discipleship, to deepen their relationship, to be the people that God wants us to be. And so as we come to the table today, may we think about his words, not the harsh-soundingness of them, but the reality of what it clangs in our souls and what God calls us to have, that deeper, better relationship. And that as we come to the table, that we realize that we can grow into that because His grace has been poured out for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.